everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Back in the Lifeboat, a podcast where we watch and recap every episode of the series Timeless. I'm Helen, and I'm here with my co-host, Heather. Hey, guys. And it's just the two of us today. We're back to normal. Uh, and today we're covering season one, episode 11, the World's Columbian Exposition, um, which is Timeless version of Haunted Mansion, because happy Halloween! Yay! I mean, in the future, we're recording on like a week earlier, at least. So possibly in several times. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm traveling, so. Yeah. So we have to record a little early. But yeah, we couldn't ask for a better episode, I think. I'm, I'm trying to think of the rest of the series. And I feel like this is probably the most Halloween episode. Yeah, it's a good one, too. It's a really good episode. They tied so much in there. I know it's it's amazing how much because like it's and still had plot. It's basically a, even like two plots sort of because like you resolve Lucy's kidnapping and then she gets kidnapped again and you resolve that too. <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah. But yeah, as as usual, like we we already kind of started, but we're gonna go over the episode overview before we really get into it and then overall thoughts heather's theory for what's coming but first we have quite a bit of news not necessarily just timeless related but we have a lot of news um because first and first and foremost there has been some i wanted to say advances on the sag strike but not really it's more like a yeah, last episode we were excited because they were getting talks back on the table and then... And 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 then they just um, noped out of there. Well, the MPTP apparently. Um, but yeah, for like a brief timeline, uh, on the 26th of September, WGA got their agreement with the MPTP that they ratify on October 9th. Uh, and so then... SAG and MPTP went back to the negotiating table. They met like every other day for about a week and a half. Uh, and and then they, I think they were agreeing on some more minor things. And then they started to get into the uh, like pressure points of the deal and by October 11th negotiations kind of broke down um so there was a quote from the AMPTP saying after meaningful conversation it is clear that the gap between the AMPTP and the SAG-AFTRA is too great and conversations are no longer moving us in a productive direction uh, and basically, uh, according to an article by Deadline, um, basically SAG proposed something and the AMPTP just said no uh, and like refused to really negotiate on it much further. Um, SAG released a statement the next day saying that it was actually the studio that walked away from the table after refusing the last counter proposal. Uh, which honestly I'm willing to incline because honestly I feel like we've had more honesty from the SAG side than the AMPTP side. 
it's like yeah, i just woke up guys more uh, details from them so yes like, it might not be the whole story from either side because each side obviously has a bias but obviously. yeah we're at least getting more details from sag yeah um and it it does look like the mptp kind of misrepresented a number of things so yeah i don't know yeah it's, it seems like a mess which is just really sad because i was hoping by now mess. by the end of october <laughs> i i something yeah i love it because um when we recorded last week we were like mm, i'm like cautiously optimistic and that just went yeah, down the I drain don't, i don't know that we'll get even like 10 episodes next spring if they don't come up with something soon i'm i'm like I considering maybe a series of something yeah considering the way it's going uh i'm not sure we're getting a season this year yeah Which uh, sucks. But it sucks but honestly i'd rather not get a season have sag get their deal and because honestly like yeah. the things they they seem to ask that the AMPTP um, is really against. It's uh, a lot of his money is the distribution system um, of like residuals on streaming, I yeah. think. And it's like from from what Sag was saying, uh, it's yeah, uh, it's saying um, they're saying that they. They were basically asking for two percent of the revenue, and they even yeah. brought it down to one percent. So yeah, it's a lot of money, but consider it's only one percent of all of it. So I is just mm -hmm. drop in the bucket. Yeah, I like. like I, obviously, I'm... we don't know their exact finances, but for real, um, from the but... outside looking in, it doesn't look good for them. No. What I'm what I'm thinking is maybe, and it, it that's valid for all the protections against uh, AI. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm thinking maybe the AMPTP is refusing because they're worried. Uh, probably uh, right about that. That um, opening those discussions and agreeing to something now would mean agreeing to something more, like later at the next contract negotiation or something like that yeah that's that's the only thing yeah, i can think of because one percent it's really not much especially when we're talking about the kind of money we're talking yeah so anyway i think um yeah like the amptp talked about the profit split demand uh and so they called it a an attainable economic burden which i'm like really yeah we're talking about one or two percent of your profits i would not call that an economic burden let alone untenable mm -hmm. but anyway um uh yeah so and we're we're now getting um um, we're over 100 days, I believe. I think so. We're getting yeah. close if we're not already. Because it says uh, September 21st, it was 94 days. So like two days a month later. Yeah. So yeah, we're well past the 100 day mark. Um, But with all those talk, 
uh, at a standstill, some of the uh, more famous uh, actors of Sagafra uh, came in with a proposal to kind of help um, get people talking again, where basically uh, they they were removing, I'm not sure what that means, removing the cap on dues. But what I understood is they were willing to um, implement like a, a bottom-up structures where the bigger names would be paid last instead of mm -hmm. first. So that there's more money for the smaller uh, casts, basically. And like, yeah, where they're yeah. not like scrounging at the end or late payments and stuff like that. Exactly. That was, I think that was one of the problems too. I can't remember if it was for writers, SAG or both of getting paid on time, I think. Yeah. Or there weren't any penalties for them not getting paid on time. Yeah. If I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I read through the contract things. It's been, it's been a minute. Like that whole <laughs> strike. It's, it's, <laughs> and like you're talking just about Sagastra, but if you count when it started, that was, May, May, yeah, May. So, second, like, like yeah, so we're we're six month, over six month in. The whole saga, pun unintended, um, for once, um. But yeah, so, like, I think they're just fed up with it and like it's nothing against SAG it's more against the AMPTP um, but it's it's been so long and we're kind of desperate for movement um, and uh, yeah uh, the end of that article said like while talks have been suspended by the studios and streamers for over a week now uh, yesterday so that was on October 18th uh, Netflix, in its third quarter earning reports, also termed the negotiation as ongoing. So, is it just that they still consider that the, the they're negotiating or that they may be restarting soon? Fingers crossed. Hope so. And um, SAG-AFTRA sent a um, a message to their membership members uh, addressing that proposal by um, like other uh, SAG members, uh, they were led by George Clooney. Um, and they say like, we're grateful that uh, a few of our more successful members have engaged to offer ideas and support. Beyond donating extraordinary sums of money to the SAG-AFTRA Foundation in support of members during the strike, these influential individuals have sought to offer suggestions, in particular with regards to our earning, to our streaming sharing proposal and the AMPTP's characterization that we are asking too much. They have contemplating increasing the amount of money that the highest earners contribute to the union via raising their dues. This generous concept is worthy of consideration, but it is in no way related to and would have no bearing on this present contract or even as a subject of collective bargaining. It is in fact prohibited by the federal labor law. For example, our pension and health plans are fun funded exclusively from employer contribution. It also doesn't speak to the scale of the overall package, which, you know, I kind of agree with all that. It's just that 
it's a great proposal. It's very generous of them. But at the end of the day, other actors shouldn't pay for other actors. It's mm-hmm. it should be coming from the organization they're trying to bargain with. Like it's yeah. very nice of them. But and like I, I get where it comes from. It comes from a great place. They just want to start working again. We all want that. Um but at the end of the day, the studios have to give the people they employ what they're due. And I'm sorry, but one or two percent of the profits that they make that the actors make for the studio is not an untenable economic burden yeah um so yeah basically we're dead in the water um so yeah that's pretty much it about the strike hopefully we get some good news um if it's like last time as soon as we stop recording and we're done with it maybe we'll have some different hopefully good news who knows yeah um because pretty much what happened last night we're like oh we're cautiously optimistic sorry we're done (laughs) contract (laughs) yeah the contract too actually um anyway moving on to another piece of news there was an article from Primetimer, um, written by um, Lisette, or um, she's uh, Lizzie, at Lizzie that, I think, on Twitter, um, which is still Twitter, I don't care. Um, and uh, she, did, she did quite a lot of coverage of One Chicago uh, last season and like the last few seasons. Uh, but she, she was talking about Loki and she mentioned, I, um honestly i haven't watched this season of loki i don't it's remember good. the entire thing about season one i just remembered i loved it uh but she her article was talking about how time traveling show like timeless um have kind of a unique like timeless especially has a unique space in time travel shows and loki kind of following Mm-hmm. it's example or maybe have some inspiration um, yeah I definitely could see where there might be some like inspiration pull because everything builds on everything else like obviously like Timeless makes a lot of references to things they've pulled from too but like I don't want to give anything away about the new season since it's still airing but I, I can see some similarities there that kind of may- maybe became founded in Timeless as part of time travel shows yeah yeah, I am. It's it's one I have to go to pretty fast, but I'm I have already have so many shows started right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, she was mentioning how timeless is lighthearted and accessible, but at the same time, it's it's kind of a procedural. Which I haven't looked at it this way, but it does make a lot of sense because there's kind of a case, case of the week, air yeah. quotes, <laughs> yeah, every week. Um. But yeah, um, there was a quote from a, a 2016 interview with Kripke, uh, where he said that basically, um, his intention sorry, let me, let me get another Kripke explained that the intention with making timeless work 
as a procedural was to stop it from becoming an overcomplicated down the rabbit hole bewildering thing that loses the casual viewer and like they do achieve that because yeah you still have time travel and there's obviously some like you know mind-bending type of thing yeah Yeah. because like you're like okay but if they do that in the future how does that affect the present and then the present is like this and then it goes back there so there's a lot of loopy things going around Mm because it's you know it's time travel but at the end of the like day, charts, though, to figure it out, like you have no, some pretty, exactly. like, basic time travel rules and they stick to them pretty well, like with a few yeah. exceptions, maybe. Yeah, and but... yeah, like it, that makes sense. Like keep it simple. That way, if you're not looking for something that's like super complicated or like that you really have to like dig into mm-hmm. to understand, like it's just like an enjoyable show. Agreed. So and I was already looking forward to season two of Loki, but now if you compare it to Timeless, now I'm just going to dive right in. Um, when I finish the, uh, I don't know, 14,000 shows that I have on already. <laughs> um, if we do a little, did you watch uh, Outer Banks? Yes. Okay, I haven't I... watched season three yet because okay. I, so I used to live in Charleston where it was filmed. And it just makes me so homesick for that area. I'm not from there, but like I loved it so much that like watching it just makes me sad. So I I haven't watched the third season yet, even though I don't think they filmed as much maybe in that area. Yeah, I just I just I'm I'm just a couple episodes into season three. Uh, So uh, I was talking with Brian of ladies of Mita Satmali's not ladies night. That's uh, but I was talking with her and she mentioned that she. I was watching Sex Education and uh, I wanted to talk to her about it and she, ask her if she she'd watched it and she hasn't. She was saying, "Oh, maybe I'll I'll watch it after what I'm watching right now, which is Outer Banks." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, if it's good, maybe I'll like I have to find something else to watch now. So, uh, I'll start it." And I I was expecting I had no idea what it was about other than it was teenagers. Uh, and for yeah, some they're reason, sixteen. They tell you a million times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which honestly you can feel yeah well you kind of have they like yeah they act 16 but also like the actors are very much not 16 oh for sure yeah yeah at all and so i think they have to like keep reminding you but the characters high stakes for john b being 16 and stuff like that the the characters are very much 16 like yeah yeah no it's a good show every character like you feel invested in every Mm -hmm. character even like rafe or topper like you feel invested in them even if they're not like the good guys yeah it's always like a nice uh, a nice thing to see on tv shows because you feel like you're like no matter who you're watching you're getting Mm -hmm. like an interesting story from them I, I like i was really not expecting this uh first of all for some reason i thought that was an australian show i don't know why um <laughs> yeah. maybe like the like you know yellow orangey glow that you see in yeah. like the photos i thought that was australian for whatever reason um and also i was thinking more of a like teen kind of like soap like like more like yeah. you know relationship drama and whatnot, and so I started this, and it's basically a treasure hunt, and I'm like, it is, yeah. oh, so it's national treasures basically, and I'm like, let's <laughs> on go the beach. in, <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's national <laughs> yeah, treasures, no, it's definitely, beach. yeah, like it's definitely more like that. It's a show about teens, but not for teens, if that makes sense. Like it's yes. not, it's not directed toward a teenage audience; it's directed towards a more adult audience. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, 
it and it and I got it, it got me hooked. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, first I got few episodes, like, you're like, yeah. okay. I got in, like, and even maybe... if everything doesn't completely make sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like by episode three, I was fully invested. I think I watched an entire season um, over like a day and a half, and then I slowed down because work. I don't think I don't mm-hmm. think sucks. Like seriously, <laughs> agreed. What what why is it even a thing? Um, can you just watch TV? <laughs> um. But yeah, that was that was my little side note. Also, the the guys who plays uh Rafe reminds me of um I forgot his name again. Um, the guy who played uh, Logan in Veronica Mars. I never watched that show. Oh, you should. I mean, not the reboot, but like the the first. Everybody was I think it was three seasons or four seasons. They were excellent. Yeah. I always like I've heard of it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a show I'd like, and I've just never like sat yeah. down and watched it. Type it thing. is excellent. Um but yeah, um one last piece of sort of timeless related news. Um a new show came out called The Irrational, which is uh a show uh created by Erika Lisson Mitman, who was not only a writer of Timeless, but also a showrunner in the second season. So yeah, I um it's about a behavioral scientist called Alec Mercer, uh, who consults with the FBI uh via uh his estranged wife who's an FBI agent, um, on cases that were things aren't always what they seem um i only watched the pilot so far um and it's um i'm curious to see where it goes like the pilots has good things has things that i'm a little less happy about uh i thought it was fairly predictable but many who watched more said that by episode like three uh, it gets a bit better and it looks like they're kind of finding their groove. So I'm, I'm interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. And the guy who plays Alec Mercer is Jesse L. Martin. He played Joe West on The Flash. Yes. Iris's dad. Yeah. Now that you think about it, now that you, you're saying it, cause I'm like, I, I know this guy, I've seen him in a million things and that, yeah, that's. Yeah. That's he's in a one. lot. It's not, it's not just the flash. That's oh, just yeah, the yeah. one that like, I know him from the most. Cause I watched most of the flash. I, I, I've watched like the first few seasons. I don't think I went very, very far. I think I watched maybe like three seasons. When is it that a, one of the last thing I remember is him like running so fast he went like Superman and kind of went into the past or something or the future. I forgot. Yeah, that was uh, a couple seasons before the end, but okay, so I went further than I thought. I was I like, think. "That's more <laughs> now it's all or less... blending together." <laughs> it's been yeah, a while. That's more or less when I stopped. I think I went a little bit further than that, but then I stopped. Um, and from what I heard, I I don't really want to go back to it because I heard that the later seasons are kind of like. Yeah, I just we uh got out of the habit of watching it, and so once yeah. you do that, it's hard to go back. Um, 
Uh, and yeah, a little fun fact about the original. There's uh, some timeless alum, including um, John Terleski, uh, another director who directed uh, episode three. And apparently on episode four, there's Karen da David, who will be a guest star. It's a micro spoiler for you. You get that <laughs> one. Um, but yeah, she'll eventually guest star um, on Timeless 2. Season 2. I don't know who that is yet, so. Oh, well, that's way. I'll tell you when it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and um, the original are on NBC and Peacock. Just, but yeah, go go support our Timeless alum and um, go watch. Tell us what you think. We can have a little TV parenthesis at the beginning. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's not like we get a whole lot of news about Timeless itself, because, you know, it's over. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we can talk about what the other actors, writers, directors are doing. Yep. All right. Episode overview. That was long. Uh, there's a lot of things. We usually don't have that much things. Um, this week's episode is the World's Columbian Exposition. Uh, the description on Rotten Tomatoes was Harry Houdini. Yay! May be the only one who can save Lucy after she's kidnapped and taken to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair to find Rittenhouse. Wyatt and Rufus fall into a trap. And boy, what a trap. Uh <laughs> So this episode originally aired uh, January 16, 2017, uh, winter premiere. We've spent the last, uh, or at least they spent, because I didn't, uh, the last uh, four weeks wondering if what was going on with Lucy and and all of that. So yeah, you, only, you, you only had to, to wait a couple of weeks. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. Um, and I get to watch the next one today, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh depends do you think we'll make it um it was written by lana cho uh which is her second out of two out of three episodes the first one being atomic city that was definitely an improvement uh she's also a, a producer for most of the show um other show she's worked on i we i don't know if we touched that yet uh on Atomic City, but she was on the company you keep in Minority Report, the show. Um, mm -hmm. I never watched the show either. I watched the movie. And like, I, I heard the company you keep. Yeah, me too. Like, the movie was great. I'm like, I'm not a big fan of Tom Cruise, but that movie was good. Good movie. Yeah. Uh, and the company you keep, like, I heard it was a really good show and it unfortunately got canceled. People yeah. were mad about it. And I kind of want to watch it, but I also like, not ready to get my heart ripped off again ripped out ripped off ripped out i mean same difference um but yeah and the director for this episode is craig zisk uh and it's the first out of two episodes he will direct the second being later this season which I'm, i can't remember which one it is but it's coming up we're only like five episodes from the end of the season That's crazy. Yeah, I know, right? I was just like letting it. We're we've done. This is our eleventh episode. We're like 
more than halfway through the season, uh, it's going to be coming up fast. How do you feel like things are starting to like fall into place like you would naturally see at this point in the season? I am so excited. Where things for start you. to like tie together a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited for you to see the season, like the season finale. Like, like there's some stuff coming. <laughs> Can't wait for you to see it. Um, back to Craigslist. Um, he's got over a hundred director credits, so you know, he's been around, uh, including Manifest, New Amsterdam, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Parks and Rec. Uh, states of Terra, Niptok, we so like you go down like even to was Niptok early two thousand or I don't know. That's one For... where I saw like all the commercials, but I was like slightly too young to watch it. Yeah, that was not a kids show uh, <laughs> at all. Yeah, uh, two thousand three. Yeah, so early two thousand. Yeah. Um, I I re- only remember watching um couple episodes but yeah so he's been a lot of things and all right after how long we've been at it like half an hour it's finally time to get back in the lifeboat uh we got a previously on uh and deepest thanks to whoever decided to include the lucy wyatt in those scenes because i leave for those and your contribution <laughs> is deeply appreciated. Um, uh, but after that, it's basically just, I even forgot what it is, but it's mostly about the written house and Lucy being kidnapped. I'm sure there's a couple other things. Did mention Jessica? I mean, probably. I that honestly can't remember. Things. I usually write down previously on, and I didn't this time. So. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a previously on and it has the Lucy Wyatt and that's really what you need to know about it. Um, Especially if you've watched the other episodes, you know what happened. Um, But anyway, we open in Mason Industries and I I love the lifeboat lands and they have little windmills, like, you know, like the kids windmills Mm -hmm. that turns because of the wind of the lifeboat. I thought that was a nice touch. I guess it's, it's really cute. Um, they always make some like they add something to make it a little interesting. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I mean, we don't really see whose desk it's on, but I'm gonna say it's Gia, just because. Yeah, probably. I, I could see <laughs> Gia having those. Um, Wade and Rufus are back from 1780. Uh, we see the clock in the background, and it's blurry, but it looks like they've been gone for something like 53 hours, 46 minutes, which I think tracks a little Probably over two sense. days. Yeah. Because we, we had, I think we only really saw one night, like when they were at the Rittenhouse mansion. But oh, I think they were like at the Benedict's house overnight too. Or wherever oh, you're right. You're British. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And, you know, with all the traveling and the talking and whatnot, it, it makes sense. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a good little touch considering I think the last time we really saw it, they had it turned off maybe because someone didn't really, uh, kept track and didn't want to do the math on how long were they gone. (laughs) Um, Wyatt is frantic and it's, it's my, it's one of my favorite things. Like I, he's just so worried. He is. Well, and I like where he's like. I lost track of her. Oh. He says, we lost track of her. 
I lost track of her. My it was heart. like he takes it so personally. My heart. Um uh yeah, I mean, like, you know, Gia Gia tells them that we're Flint when and that he's gone back and forth between present and 1780. Uh and they basically Rufus and Mason quickly figure out that he probably jumps this way because of the well, no, they already knew. They already figured out what he was doing with it, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it kind well, of confirms. Kinda, uh, yeah, they kind of confirm it or like, hey, yeah, if this if that's what he does, it's what he's doing. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's when Wyatt tells Mason and Christopher that Flynn kidnapped Lucy. And that's when he said, like, we lost track of her. I lost track of her. And it's it's a double whammy because, you know, as the soldier of the team, it's his responsibility to protect his team. And he feels like he didn't do that. Um, and on top of that, it's I feel like it's it's he feels responsible for Lucy's kidnapping the same way. I think he probably feels somewhat responsible for, for Jessica's, Jessica's death. Yeah. That he couldn't protect her. So yeah, it's just my heart. Yeah. And like there is a couple of throwbacks this episode that we were definitely like ramping up for the phone call at the end. Like there were a lot of like little hints along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the way like the way he looks at Denise and the way like his voice kind of softens and like it doesn't really break, but you can tell it's close to breaking. It's like mm-hmm. oh my heart, my heart. Yeah, he yeah they, 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 there's gonna be a lot of light unhinged me um uh and right on cue we jump to lucy uh and she's in flynn's hideout like that little chapel or something under guard Mm -hmm. working on a computer and she looks rough yeah you can tell it's not like immediately after whatever happened like Mm -hmm. he obviously like dropped her off had her doing something went back to wherever he went back to which i'm not sure how he did because he now exists in that time i i have a theory and he acts like he wasn't there to begin with so i think every time he tries to go like a little earlier so -hmm. he can try to get into the rittenhouse mansion or get to arnold before he went that's that's in my head at least before he gets there so like you know he gets maybe i don't know two three hours ahead every time hoping he can get things done before like because i i thought about it too i'm like well okay he's been there like if he keeps coming back to the going back to the same time he's been there uh but no and i, he I can't would... go back and get arnold because arnold hasn't defected yet so like that makes sense like he would so, yeah, have to he go would back go like slightly right before because now he knows where the written house mention is yeah yeah he so just has to get would, in which yeah. he couldn't do so he could makes try sense. potentially to go like uh like a couple hours earlier than the last time he traveled and then another couple hours earlier and then another mm-hmm. couple hours earlier or even the day yeah. before and the day before because i don't know if they can do by hour but they can do by day for sure yeah so like you can at least um assume that yeah she she looks she looks exhausted she looks like she's been crying like her eyes are a little red mm-hmm. uh yeah, she she does. She she looks she looks rough. 
Um, at this point, the mothership lands and Flynn gets out and he's pissed. And it, it's possibly, that's my theory. Sure, because he can't, he can't find Rittenhouse or he can't get to it. But also he doesn't have paperweight and every time the paper starts flying. So, you know, <laughs> that probably pisses him off too. Um, it just make his cronies pick him up. And also, it, it's a good explanation for what, why Lucy couldn't get any sleep. Because, you know, like Cinderella, she has to pick up the mess every time Flynn went back and <laughs> forth, back and forth. So, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's when he explained that he tried to... He tr- that's when he explains he tried to go back but couldn't get to Rittenhouse. Uh, and it turns out that killing Rittenhouse Sr. Falling. didn't have yeah. really any effect. Which... I feel like Lucy's point is better than his point here of like, they didn't know how far Rittenhouse had spread at this point. Like killing his son at this point might not matter either. And And, she's got uh, a good point. And that's, that's kind of uh, one of the thing I was alluding to last episode. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, we'll talk about in this episode is like what happened to John after. And he was probably so scared. Like he, he probably just ran back to whatever Rittenhouse member he knew about and it probably cemented uh cemented him in his like father's belief and i i don't i don't see john being the head of the organization after his father mm-hmm. i'm guessing it's like the way rittenhouse works like you know always being in the shadow is controlling people behind their backs really i could easily believe that whoever you went to became the unofficial head of Rittenhouse. Like John might have been the official yeah, like Regent, head of Rittenhouse or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I could see that. Well, and also like he's what we said, he's like 12. And so yeah. his father hadn't raised him up to that point to be a leader yet. He was still raising him to be a follower. Yeah. And he wouldn't have wanted to teach him those leadership qualities to the point where he could take over from, david in like a coup so mm-hmm. yeah like he would have still been in that like follower mindset so he would probably yeah that would have made sense to run to like a nearest written house which obviously we don't know what i don't know what happens yet if we see him again or if we never see him again whatever but like it's either that or he's 12 in like the middle of the revolutionary war like it wouldn't be that difficult for him to like get a job on a ship or get put in an orphanage somewhere or be adopted by a family and be made an apprentice like you could disappear easily during yeah. that time period and never be found by history again and then and then same like whoever's sort of next in line yeah after david rittenhouse takes so takes over yeah we, we do it sounds know, like it was a group yeah we already knew there was like at least a group of people we don't know how big of a group but there were founders plurals yeah so so yeah, that's that makes sense. Um, but yeah, Flynn is mad, and so yeah, he takes he Lucy. Says he's yeah. gonna do it the hard way, and I was like, "Well, Flynn murder spree back in back in the works." Yep. <laughs> and like he looks unhinged. Like he got so close, and he's so mad, and he it's like it's not that he can't think straight because he obviously does it well enough to kind of plot the next thing mm-hmm. but he like that 
that whole thing kind of removed a couple filters. Um, we'll go back quickly to Mason Industries, uh, and it says that, oh yeah, so he said, uh, sorry, back to the last scene, Flynn says that we're going to do it the hard way, and he's taking Lucy with him. Yeah. Like, he grabs Which is her. the safest and... bet for him. Yeah, that makes sense. Leaving her in the present to be rescued when he's not there. Mm-hmm. Bad idea. Plus, he kind of needs her, apparently. So... Yeah. So that's when we jump back to Mason Industries and they see that Flynn jumped to Illinois May 30th, 1893. And Rufus points that it's the month that the Chicago World's Fair opened. He's Googling his art out. Uh, well, and they... I think uh, he might have already known that, really, Possibly. because he's from Chicago, which yes. I think is a good throwback call. Yeah. Uh, but he's still like Googling what they could be doing there. Because yeah. with that Lucy, they they they're shorter historian, um, they're only historian. Um, and Wyatt, as usual, he wants to go right there, like he's ready to jump in. And that's when Gia tells him, "Well, the lifeboat is still still charging, and it's gonna take another four hours to fully charge." And Wyatt yeah. looks like he's about to explode. Yeah. <laughs> If he Sorry, was like electricity he, doesn't work that way, why? Yeah. If he was a lesser man, I think it probably blew up at Gia, even though it's not yeah. his fault. But yeah, uh, yeah, he walks off and like, can we start a poll on what he does next or where he goes? Because my bet is he goes to like the shooting range to shoot at cardboard cutouts of Flynn. Like at this point, for the next four hours, kind of yeah, blowing like, up. Steam. The, I bet Mason Industries has a gym, and he just is on a treadmill and runs until he's like yeah oh, i should probably not do this or i'm not gonna be able to have any energy to save lucy something something, like, he would de- something yeah. that definitely requires energy oh he's he, like, he needs to let his anger out for sure yeah like he's beside himself it's so cute i love it uh <laughs> Listen, Wyatt going feral with worry is one of the best Wyatt. It's just it's they also there isn't a bad Wyatt. No, there actually is. We'll get there eventually. Towards the um, end of this episode, they present the potential. So it's fair. Um, but we go back to eighteen ninety three with Flynn and Lucy. They're in Chicago. Um. And Flynn tells her that he wants to take out Edison, Ford, and J.P. Morgan at a meeting they're attending the next day. And he wants Lucy to help. Um, uh, he says he says he's starting to dad the journal because Lucy wouldn't help him take down Rittenhouse in 1780. Which, I mean... I'm get- so this sounds bad. I'm getting tired of him being like, the journal says, like, it's law. Like, one, we don't know where the journal freaking came from. And two, like, he's under the assumption that what she's writing about pertains to his way of thinking of how to take down Rittenhouse and not her way of thinking to take down mm-hmm. Rittenhouse, which could be completely different, is completely different. And so he's obviously doing it, like, yeah, I the Blunt I Hammer can't. Wyatt way <laughs> that we had at the beginning of uh, the, the series. But, you know, like, obviously she might have a different way, and that's the way she's talking about if that diary is accurate. Yeah, I can talk about that. I plead the fifth. Yeah. 
<laughs> I figured that was a spoiler, but I'm really getting tired of him like I'm, waving I'm, that diary yeah. around. Like this says this thing. I like okay, it. cool. Um, <laughs> the way the way you're saying that make him sound like like one of those street prophets, you know, like oh, oh I will save you, listen yeah, to it. Yeah. With the Bible and like you know. <laughs> yeah, we had one of those in my college. And, no, that's a that's that's an image I can't get out of my head. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, Flynn is kind of unraveling at this point, so we kind of we kind of don't know what he's willing to to do because if he doesn't believe the journal, then is is kind of willing to. First of all, get rid of Lucy, especially Lucy, but like the time team as a whole, uh, because they're not useful to him since they're not helping the way he thought they would eventually because yeah. of the journal. Uh, and at this point, he's willing to just go nuclear and basically blow shit up one by one to get to Rittenhouse. So, yeah, which also like does the does the journal have like. A list of some written house members like how does he know do we know that yet that is a good <laughs> she's like question. Uh... <laughs> i'm trying to think of what i mean I obviously like say. the henry ford thing we kind of figured out but he somehow also figured out like i guess he got the key and the key had the benjamin or benedict arnold letter so that led them to benedict arnold but like the key was from Ford, so obviously Ford yeah, had um, um, some kind of connection, and then Ford was connected to Edison and J.P. Morgan. So, like, so I, I think... basically, I feel like he's just like any guy who had power at some point in American history, probably Rittenhouse. No, like the way you know, like every time he kind of quotes the journal to the time team, you can tell mm-hmm. he's reading so that time period from the journal, right? So mm-hmm. my guess is in the journal, it kind of says, oh, at that time period, like you got to travel to this time period because this person, this person, and this person are written house. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. So that, like, that's probably why you put so much importance to the journal because it tells it tells him like yeah who was written house yeah that makes sense um but yeah so now that lucy's kind of not helping she's expendable so she has two choice she can help him or she can die dun 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 mm-hmm. and we get to the credits Do you want to? Oh, yep. Sorry. Uh, yes. The uh, so the uh, scene cuts back to Mason Industries, and Rufus gives Mason the recording device, and he's erased all of it. And so my problem with this was he doesn't know if the room they're in is bugged. So he's saying all this stuff, and he might be recording um, anyway. Um, I right, think he's cause... just trusting that Mason would have said something. Yeah. Right but uh mason I, think, is like, I think that's fair i think that's fair yeah. because you know mason's been clearly trying to kind of help, help him. him um 
Yeah, but uh, and Mason's like absolutely terrified for him at this point. He's like, "You need to run. We'll get your family. We'll get you a new identity. Like, we'll get you out of here." And I like that he like looks down at Wyatt and he sees like how worried Wyatt is, and he's like, "No, I'm not going anywhere." And because he knows they need him, like he is absolutely essential for getting Lucy back. Like there mm-hmm. is no other pilot, which he points exactly. out later, which I'm so glad they finally caught like something that he can use. But I really like that shot of him like looking down yeah. at Wyatt and like him pacing and seeing that and being like, and you can yeah, you can I even see Wyatt here. like even before they focus on that window and uh, Rufus mm-hmm. looking down. You can see uh, Wyatt like in the distance already pacing. Yeah, and also I love that um, he like when he talks about refusing to go like to to run away, um, he's back to the camera and you just see like his reflection in the window. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they did. I've done that a couple times where they like use that glass as a reflection yeah. like thing. That's pretty neat. I like that. Yeah. But um yeah, so eventually they do get the lifeboat recharged and Rufus and White are kind of like going over what's happening at the fair and what they might be walking into and Rufus kind of like names off some things. And one thing I thought he that was interesting was he goes Aunt Jemima, which why is that still a thing? Which it's yeah. not anymore, but obviously anymore. this was well before that. Um but it reverted to Pearl Milling Company, which was the original like owner of the syrup, I guess in yeah. 2021 when PepsiCo yep. who now owns it changed the name to Pearl Milling Company. But damn time. They changed the I thought too. that I, yeah, I thought that was interesting though that that was mentioned there so many years before. But I like uh, they never miss an opportunity to make a little like offhand comment pointing mm-hmm. at the little uh little bits of racism and sexism throughout yeah. history. They don't necessarily make a big deal out of it, but it's always a point. Yeah. They do. And they do a good job of like, it's never like, it's never the plot. It hasn't been. Yeah, it's yet, it's so never like, like, it's always it's, like, it's never like a soapbox kind of thing. It's yeah. just, look, it's, it's comments that still set the scene yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. But uh, so our history minute, we're starting it a little bit after we usually do. And buckle up, guys. It's a kind of a long one. <laughs> um, we had three historic figures in this episode. And oh, we I, also had the World's Fair. Can but. I? First, back on the Rufus and Wyatt. Yeah. Um, I I put some note which is like it's it's a very short but sweet moment of like the friendship between Rufus and yeah. Wyatt, and like Rufus can tell that Wyatt is kind of out of sorts and he's trying to get like some reassurance. Like uh, I forgot. I think he tells him that like it's not his fault or something like that. Uh, yeah. not not in not in like those words but the way he says it he's like we'll find her like yeah like we got this yeah which i feel like they haven't focused on their friendship as much since the early episode so that's like a nice little it's nice moment to see yeah yeah anyway sorry back to the history hour um i was gonna start with the world's fair and so um when they were debating after the paris exposition uh, which is where we saw like the Eiffel Tower built and things like that. They were debating in America where to host the World's Fair. And there were financiers like J.P. Morgan pushing for New York, New York City. But there were other men like Cyrus McCormick from McCormick Tractors pushing for Chicago. 
And in the end, obviously, Chicago won out. Um, construction on the buildings began a couple years before the fair, and they were mainly done in the Beaux-Arts style, which affected many public buildings across the United States for years to come, um, which had a lot of columns and symmetry, ornate outside, things like that. So if you see an, a library from around the turn of the century, um, 19th to 20th, you probably seeing a building that looks kind of like that. They were also covered in plaster and painted white, which is why the fair was known as the White City. So the book, The Devil in the White City um, by Eric Larson about H.H. Holmes. That's why it was called the White City. Mm -hmm. Um, It was located in the Inglewood District in Jackson Park in Chicago. Um, George Washington Ferris designed a Ferris wheel specifically for the event. But there was. Oh, that's uh, what it's called. A Ferris wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's why yeah, I learned. It's because it was invented by a guy named Ferris, just the way the Eiffel Tower was by a guy named Eiffel. Yeah. Um, which he was actually considered to build a taller tower in Chicago than the Eiffel Tower, and it would also have a bungee jump from it. Uh, but they wanted an American designer, so yeah, that's that's a that's no why for they me. went with the Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the a fair, hard pass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not jumping from the Eiffel Tower either. I listen. I like. Whenever I go to any type of fair or like amusement park, the Ferris wheel, that is the scariest attraction for me. I don't know if I've ever been on one. Um, I really don't. What, where, I feel like I've just seen too many like bad TV show and movie incidents that I'm like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> unless unless uh, Casey and Gallo come rescuing me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah uh no we we had uh we had a fair coming twice a year like the city i'm from um and there was a fairy swill and i remember a friend of mine like i went uh i went once with some friends and they absolutely wanted to go on the fairy swill and i spent the entire time just like looking at the floor not looking at not There's flying <laughs> in downtown seattle that i wouldn't mind because it like looks out over the sound um, no, knowing yeah. that there's like it's um it's I think just that's that part of the gap be- is... be- beneath my feet I'm like I, I can't I, yeah no. I think that's part of the problem too is that I've always gone to like state fairs where they had ferris wheels I just don't trust the rides at those things they might be perfectly fine what but if, I just don't yes. if it's mobile I don't trust it from what I've seen to like like the number of incidents that happen in like you know, little fairs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm like, I am getting into any of these rides. Yeah. Ever. If it goes yeah. more than like six feet off the ground, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I no, like thank you. Coasters, but I stick to the ones that are like built, which those have problems too. Don't get me wrong. But oh, yeah. for whatever reason, if they're like built to be a permanent installation, yeah. they just feel safer to me. <laughs> I mean, we we have we have uh, Canada's Wonderland um, in the in the GTA, um, which is you know like a year round like amusement park, and mm-hmm. there's been like a couple incidents where um, they have sometimes you know like those carousel where you sit in like almost like a swing and it just kind of turns around like spins yeah. around and we have one but that's super high and there's been a few yeah there there is oh i actually love i actually like those it was when i was a yeah. kid and i wasn't scared of heights um i wouldn't go now um but yeah so there's been a few instances where people 
like the thing just stops at the very top and people get stuck for hours and I'm like nope. yeah that might that might be my worst nightmare um playing right there um there's been there's been one yeah where like it arrived when it got stuck like upside down for a bit and like, that's even worse uh nope. <laughs> so, nope, nope, nope. yeah um so you know it happens like there was no um like no big injuries or death or whatnot but it's enough to make you stay like do i really want to yeah but, but I, yeah, I would so... definitely trust those more than the rise that you know you get it gets in and out in and out, in and out so yeah so but yeah back to the world's fair so it ran from may 1st to october 30th so if you're listening to this it ended like 270 years ago yesterday um and then that year uh so it ran from 18 or in 1893 it ran from may 1st to october 30th and then it attracted around 27 million visitors that's a lot to the fair that's a lot coming through chicago yeah in a year in a time when it's not like mm-hmm. when like mass travel wasn't the way it is today um and there were many firsts at the fair they mentioned a lot of them in the episodes um so like cracker jacks juicy fruit gum uh pap's got its namesake blue ribbon uh, which I think they mentioned. Uh, yep. Helen also found a great Easter egg. Uh, she spotted we'll, why we'll using ta- this. Coin, we'll, talk we'll talk about, about it. About it yeah, in details. Yeah. I'm so, so I'm so excited about this one. Like I'm, I'm proud of all of us because yeah, I saw it. You found it. Was it. A joint right? effort. <laughs> yeah, it effort. yeah. So um, after the fair was over uh, a year later, they most of the buildings were actually destroyed in a fire or they were demolished. Um, there is one left standing today. The Museum of Science and Industry is in one of the original buildings. Um, the museum opened, I think, as part of the or the Chicago Fair that took place in 1933, if I remember right. Um, now, we had three historical figures in this episode. The first I'm going to talk about is Houdini. Uh, so he was born Eric oh, Weiss man. in Budapest, Hungary in 1874. And Harry Houdini became one of the greatest and most well-known magicians of all time. And we still don't know how he performed some of his incredible tricks. Um, So he actually bought the rights of a disappearing trick that would allow him to vanish a donkey on stage. He went with an elephant instead, Jenny the Elephant, and they still aren't exactly sure, at least that I saw, how he did it. Um, After his family immigrated to the United States when he was a child, I think he went to Wisconsin, Um, He ran away at some point at 12 years old, and he wrote postcards to his mother, and those are, I think, in the Library of Congress today is where I saw those. Um, And then he also spent the rest of his life known for his talents as an escape artist, so I guess that was his first escape. But uh, he changed his name to Harry Houdini after the father of modern magic, Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin, Houdin, but he added the Houdini. Um, the World's Fair in Chicago was one of his first acts, and Chicago was where he was also first invited to go on a touring theater circuit. Around 1899, after he'd married his wife, Wilhelmina Beatrice Rayner, or Bess, which mm-hmm. is why Lucy's like, mm-hmm. or Bess, <laughs> uh, the impresario Martin Beck suggested he concentrate more on his escape tricks than traditional magic. 
And he had become known for those acts and he became very well known for them in the next few years where he would escape like locked milk cans full of water in minutes or he'd be hung upside down and lowered into water where he had to like break out of chains. And and that's a pretty also... um, like common sort of tricks for a magician, yeah. like escape artists, like being... Uh, yeah. dunked into water with like chains and handcuffed and whatnot yeah there was an interesting article i read um and teller from Penn and teller was interviewed for it and he had obtained a cross mechanism that houdini had used and the guy was like well don't let any kids stick their fingers in the holes and when he looked into it like if you moved your foot just right while you were tied to this thing it would sever the ropes and so there were all these like little hidden mechanisms and stuff that he made that allowed yes. him to do all these escape tricks, but he never like let them know, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, Teller also made a point of like escape tricks were interesting to people during this time because a lot of them were immigrants com- immigrants coming to America trying to like break free of some kind of stigma in their previous location, and so that idea of like breaking chains and breaking free was very prominent in America at the time, not just because of the immigrants, but also just like that imagery of breaking chains. And so I thought that was an interesting viewpoint because I'd never really thought about that before um, because that's what like superheroes become prominent in the 1940s because the world needed superheroes. Mm-hmm. But before that, they needed tricksters who could show them they could break out of, you know, impossible situations. So I thought that was interesting. That's that's kind of sweet, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, he wasn't just doing tricks or he wasn't just doing magic. He also starred in a few silent movies. Uh, the first one he starred in he was about an evil. Co- yeah, he was about an evil corporation uh, trying to like hold patents over inventors and stuff like that. Oh, so he basically um, did a movie about Rittenhouse. Well, he did a movie about himself, too. I'll tell you why <laughs> in a second. But uh, so. More than anything, he was. Anything that was going to be big in entertainment, he was kind of one of the ultimate showmen. He was a very, like, so. Um, I think it was the same article Teller was talking about. Like, if he wanted to, you know, go to a city and promote himself and the city was, like, a big beer industry or something, he would go try to escape from a big vat of beer. Like, he was a showman. He was going to do whatever interested the people the most in that area. Good PR um, He also... Yeah, he also saw the thrill in aviation that was coming about in the early 1900s. And so he became an aviator, bought his own biplane and reportedly become the became the first person to fly over Australia. Huh. Um, he didn't stick with those long, either the movies or the aerobatics. Um, he continued to do his escape shows, though, as he was known for. And he was always striving to do something new and inventive. And for his acts, he created many of the mechanisms he used himself. But he had a problem of not wanting to patent them. Because if you patent them, you have to show how they work. And he didn't want people to know how everything worked. It was the big illusion of a a magician doesn't tell his secrets. Mm -hmm. And so what he would do instead, he would hold a one-man show. So one person watching, I guess, really. Uh, so he's doing a show for one person watching and copyrights the show. So they can't copy the show, and which was a way around the patent. Um, but he did patent some things that he never really used on stage either. Uh, one was where he could like freeze himself into a block of ice and escape, but it was never used. 
and like, then yeah because um, how, how do you put yourself into a block of ice yeah i don't know and there's a patent for it though <laughs> so i guess you could figure it out from that um well, I always found interesting about him, too, was he's a great skeptic of popular spiritualism. Um, so spiritualism in the late 1800s, early 1900s was huge. That's like the time of mediums. That's the time when like the the little magical tricks became popular, too, because a lot of times they were using sleight of hand and things like that to convince people mediums were real. Houdini also got mad at these people, though, because a lot of times they'd be like, we're going to pull, we're going to contact so-and-so, and then t- they turn the lights out. So there wasn't even really necessary an illusion that needed to be made. It's and Houdini was this great illusionist. Yeah, it was just, you know, the lights are out, so they couldn't see it happening, and everybody was fooled by it. Um, And so he, being this illusionist himself went around kind of debunking a lot of the mediums. Um, one of the biggest rivalries he had was a woman named Marjorie. And she, um, while being tested, you know, it was hard to prove she was doing something um, herself and it wasn't the spirits coming through type thing. And so there was a point where I think they stopped allowing Houdini to observe her because he could debunk too much. Um, <laughs> but also she was just as good, probably just as good of an illusionist as he was. And so it was a, it was a big rivalry for him, but uh, he did debunk a lot of the spiritualists and he also wrote a few books on the subject. He was also friends with Arthur Conan Doyle. who wrote Sherlock Holmes and Doyle was a great believer in spiritualism and his wife, Jean, claimed to be a medium. And during one of the sessions that they had, the seances, she supposedly channeled Houdini's mother and spirit wrote about five pages, said to be from Houdini's mother who had recently passed in 1913. And he was very close to his mother. And so I, there wasn't anything that specifically said this was the incident that uh, publicly kind of turned him against Doyle. But... At the top of each of those five pages was a cross. And the problem with that was Houdini's family was Jewish. His mother was Jewish. His father was a rabbi. So there's no reason that they would have yeah. a cross at the top of each of those pages. Um, I honestly so his, probably would not have appreciated that. Like his Yeah. And so, and obviously being fake. Yeah, yeah. Being fake and being friends with them too. Like that just... That probably set him on edge, but uh, it definitely soured the friendship because in 1926, he was testifying in front of Congress trying to get mediums kind of outlawed from D.C. area, and he calls Doyle a dupe on the hearing documents. Mm. So, like, that's documented him calling him a dupe. Um, That was only a few months, though, before his death in 1926. Um, at the age of 52... Houdini was on tour and it had already been a bad tour. It had a few mishaps. His wife had food poisoning. He'd been injured during an act. And then in late October, he began feeling ill. However, he kept touring despite doctors finally diagnosing him with appendicitis. After a show in Detroit, he finally saw a doctor whose opinion he had to get backed up by calling his own doctor in New York. Um, And then finally, he gets on the operating table. By the time they're operating on him, though, his appendix had already burst and this was before antibiotics. And mm. so he had all that bacteria and pus in his stomach. And he passed away on October 31st, which is the day you're listening to this. And um, 
what's interesting about that, after all that stuff I just said about spiritualism, is after his death, his wife would hold yearly seances because he had promised if it was possible, he would come back. So she did that for a decade and then he never came back. And so she stopped doing it. But people do still do that on his death date. Uh, They hold seances for Harry Houdini. They're not allowed, though, any longer to go to his grave. Uh, apparently that was a big thing at some point was to go to his grave on Halloween and hold a seance for him. Uh, never okay. came through as far as we know. I don't know anybody who can do seances, but I kind of want to try, even though like I don't really <laughs> believe in that. Yeah. But yeah, so if I'm you're like, listening to this really cool. on yeah. the 31st <laughs> and you live near Houdini's grave. Yeah, that is a great yeah. Halloween uh, yeah, event especially to Houdini. do. Yeah. yeah. Now it's uh, of all days, you know, for someone mm. that entrenched in like spiritualism and tricks and things like that. That makes but, this um, episode being on Halloween even better. Like, I know. <laughs> it, it was not planned. No, it just happened that way. But, but yeah, uh, that's perfect. Now, after his death, he it was also investigated whether or not appendicitis was like the main cause and periodontitis, I guess is how you say it, where like it gets into your stomach. Peritonitis, cavity. yeah. Peritonitis, yes. Um, so he had already started feeling sick and then a kind of overzealous fan um, punched him in the stomach. <laughs> so he did this trick where he would tense his abs and he could get hit really hard and it not affect him because he had a really like strong physique. But um, this kid punched him before he was ready. And so he got hit really hard in the stomach. So at the time, investigators determined, I think insurance wise, that that might have had something to do with it. However, historians have kind of gone away from that claim, saying blunt force trauma has no, like, relation to appendicitis, and he was already feeling ill. And so that's probably not ruptured his appendix. It was probably just something that was already in process. But, um, so yeah, that's Harry Houdini. (laughs) And then uh, we also had Sophia Hayden. And I just scroll down. She was born in Santiago, Chile in 1868 to, I saw one article that said her mother was Chilean and the other one said she was Peruvian, Um, but her father was American and he was a dentist. Uh, She moved to Boston to live with her grandparents in order to attend school when she was six years old. And then when she started uh, to look into post-secondary education, she turned to architecture and she was one of the first women accepted into the Massachusetts T- Institute for Technology, MIT, for their architecture program. She was one of the first women to graduate from the program as well. And then she mentions Robert Robinson Taylor um, in the episode, and he graduated a few years after her, also from the same architecture program. And he was the first Black accredited architect in the U.S. With Rufus Carling, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... When the plan was made for the 1893 World's Fair to have a women's exhibition headed by a board of lady managers that was created by the women's rights groups at the time and headed by Bertha Honor Palmer of the Palmer House Hotel, uh, they decided they were going to build this big pavilion. And so at the time when they presented this idea of building this pavilion, the leading female architect of 1893, um, she refused to submit a plan. Because they were only offering $1,000 in compensation, which was significantly less than the male con- uh, co- uh, compensation. So they basically were getting a really cheap architecture plan because 
they were asking women and they were only allowing women to enter plans. Um, so it wasn't like a man was going to even be able to submit a plan for this $1,000. It's the pay gaps and it's still ongoing to this day. And so Hayden and 12 other women all under the age of 25 entered plans and Hayden's was chosen. Uh, construction was rushed because they started in 1891 and they needed to get it done by May of 1893. And Hayden ran into a few roadblocks of along the way of necessary building changes to house the planned exhibits, but also suggestions from the board of lady managers that were kind of overbearing a little bit. After a year of this, all while managing to continue work and stay within the budget, she has a breakdown uh, shortly after the building is completed in 1892. Uh, she was able to return and see her pavilion at the fair, though, after a rest period. And this one irritated me because it had mixed reviews. The design was called, like, Lyric, and it was a pretty pavilion. However, some mentioned in those mixed reviews that potentially a better male architect could have presented a design, and it took their, it took a place they could have held instead. So it wasn't so much mixed reviews as maybe, you know, sexism. Yes. Um <laughs> This was actually the only building Hayden ever designed. Uh, After that, she uh, marries a painter and um, doesn't return to architecture. So uh, I thought that was interesting. She was was asked to design a memorial pavilion and she didn't. So I guess that one experience was just kind of. Maybe, maybe that on top of the, because like, yeah, when when you say she had a breakdown, she probably burned out. Because yeah. like you said, like everything had to happen within the span of probably not even a full two years. Yeah. So uh, I would assume she was probably working. Yeah. So, so much. And yeah. Yeah. That would, that would do it. That would do it. And so lastly, we have Holmes. Um, so H.H. Holmes, if you don't want to hear about um, his crimes, which do include children and uh his manager committing suicide uh skip maybe the next five ten minutes uh so born herman mudgett to a wealthy family in new hampshire he was said to have a fascination with skeletons from an early age and then he went to medical school and one of his first crimes was documented while he was in medical school he would steal cadavers and then stage them to look they looked like they were in accidents and claim the insurance for the insurance scams that he was running and so he gets pretty wealthy that way. He does this everywhere he moves. Um, he does some kind of insurance scam. He also got married during this time and had a son with his first wife. He abandons them when he moves to Chicago. I think he got married at least two more times and had at least one more child, if I remember right. Um, he arrives in Chicago in 1885 and he renames himself Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. So when we say George Did you say Henry... Eight- 1895 1885 oh 85 okay because i'm like that's after the worst okay yeah no no no. he was there um so he starts working at a pharmacy after the death of the owner he ends up convincing the widow that he would make payments to buy the pharmacy and then she suddenly disappears and he says that she went Hmm. somewhere in california yeah Um, she disappears yeah i think she had a daughter as well that also disappeared uh yeah into the into the basement (laughs) um in the late 1880s he bought a lot across from the street across the street from the pharmacy and built a three-story castle that took up the entire block 
The bottom floor had shops and the second floor had offices and the third floor was meant for hotel rooms. Um, I think the second floor also had some long-term stay rooms as well. Uh, but while it was being built, homes kept firing the builders so that no one knew exactly what the final plans looked like. In the end, it had mystery staircases, gas pipes into the rooms, and a kiln in the basement, which was a crematorium. Um, which is where the, Lucy ends up. Yeah, ends up. Um, with the World's Fair coming, Holmes saw it as an opportunity to prey on travelers. All of his staff and the guests needed insurance policies while working there or staying there, uh, which would pay out to him if they suddenly vanished or met That's- an accident. Yeah. yeah. Um. He would also. Convenient. They said, uh, after he killed some people, he would disassemble them in the basement, and then he would have their skeletons. Um, what do you call it when they're for science? Articulated. Um, articulated. Yes. And sold to medical schools and stuff like that. Oh, jeez, that's creepy. Um, during this time, there were at least two sisters reportedly murdered by him. He was engaged to one. He invited her sister to come visit the hotel because he had put out like a newspaper article advertising a wealthy man in search for a wife. And so he'd met her, met the sister, and then murdered them. Um, And they were wealthy as well. So I'm sure there was some type of money gained by that. Um, He also had an accomplice during this time named Benjamin Peitzel who would later be the reason he was caught, unfortunately, for Benjamin. Uh, So after he leaves Chicago, he goes down to Texas. He's caught stealing horses, which is a major crime in Texas. Don't steal a horse. Uh, He was caught and jailed. So while he was in jail, he conspired with his cellmate, Marion Hedgepath, to commit a $10,000 insurance scheme where he would fake his own death, and then Hedgepath would get $500 to find a lawyer that would help them finish out this scheme legally illegally um, $10,000 at the time was probably a hefty amount of quite money a bit too. yeah um and he did this a lot like this wasn't his first like he did a lot of insurance fraud um but instead when he gets out of jail he convinces instead of faking his own death he convinces Benjamin Peitzel to fake his death um and then he just killed Benjamin Peitzel and claimed the insurance <laughs> and so it wasn't a fake death I Um, I shouldn't be laughing but it's it's uh, yeah it's it's kind of funny in a very twisted way yeah that's what you get for trusting a known murderer i guess um he also manages unfortunately to take peitzel's three children from peitzel's widow and at the same time he forgot to pay hedgepath or he just didn't and so hedgepath rats him out this improm- this prompts insurance investigators to go looking for him. While they're searching for him, they find two of the Peitzel children buried in a basement in a house he rented in Toronto, and then the third in a house. Wait, in he Illinois. was here? Yeah. Okay, I need to Google where it is because that's going to be interesting. <laughs> I um, don't know if it's still there because this is obviously 1890s, but um, so unfortunately, all three of the children were killed by Holmes. But um, yeah, that's really not funny. Yeah, this also prompts them to look into the murder castle or the World's Fair Hotel a little more. And bodies were found there. Um, a lot. One of the articles I read suggested that a lot of the myths surrounding Holmes is completely made up. Some of it by him because he did profit off of giving his story uh, after he was ca- after he was captured. But he did admit to at least twenty seven murders. However. 
some speculate the number might be up to 200. Um, one article I said that they can really only prove nine. So he might've been lying about that. He did change his story some right before he died. He said he never killed anybody. So like, it's not, uh, he's not a reliable narrator, but in May of 1896, he was hanged for his crimes and that's how he died. Oh, St. Vincent Lane. Oh, I'm on a Googling spree in Toronto. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? It is. Oh, it's I downtown. would guess they probably it's Bay. Bulldoze the house at some point. Oh, it's close to Bay in college. Okay, okay, okay. So there was 15. Where's number 15? Does it still exist? I mean, that. Okay, let me see. 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 Yeah, the, there's a lot of skyscrapers. I wonder if there's a plaque anywhere. Yeah, no, uh, no, not... I need to make a note because I'm going downtown. Okay, that was that's weird. Oh, okay. Oh, I did not mean to do that, but okay. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna have to to look it up. I should put a note of that somewhere. Um, I'm going downtown for a musical next weekend, and I should go see if there's some kind of plaque. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we get Rufus and Wyatt back to the back to our show. Uh, we get Rufus and Wyatt in 1893, and they're looking around the world's fair i did laugh at this because rufus goes roosevelt's skinny hey <laughs> which we have our winner where's waldo shot <laughs> oh yeah the big pan out shot yeah i i wasn't expecting i thought that was like it's very obviously cgi uh mm -hmm. for a lot of it but i guess that first row of stuff it was probably in a studio lot somewhere uh mm -hmm. in vancouver or i don't know uh, or yeah. maybe just a street. I don't know. But and then they like pasted the more the it, Ferris yeah. wheel, and I like it too because so first of all you can see so you can see everywhere because as they're walking you see them walking past like a couple children and there's like a a, a belly dancer. I forgot how you call that's how you call those. Um, I didn't notice. Uh, like almost like bo bohemian type of. Mm -hmm. thing where I know, with like, like the, um, the Flynn's guy yeah uh, and like you can see all of them and you can see like where uh I think it's Zach the name of the Flynn's guy um mm -hmm. and um and then you see Rufus and and Wyatt like walking too so you see everything so they always do those double shot of they do the close-up but they also do like a aerial shot yeah. like which i always find really cool um but what you can see too is that they're not uh really close to where flynn and lucy were because um when you see flynn and lucy earlier they're very close to the ferris wheel mm -hmm. and when you get to this shot the ferris wheel is like way further back way in the distance them. yeah i yeah. thought that was a kind of a, a neat trick too yeah and then, uh, yeah, so they spot Rufus, or they spot um, Flynn's guy, Rufus and Wyatt do. 
and they he walks into the World's Fair Hotel, which dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah, that's exactly my notes. <laughs> take a look at my notes. That's exactly what it says. It says dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah, and so um, we cut to Lucy and Flynn in a cafe, and he explains how Edison Ford and Morgan will be in the same room, which. Um, I think Allison asked if that meeting actually happened and I don't know that it did. I didn't see any like non-timeless related thing that it happened, but Edison did know Morgan. He was one of his financiers and Edison did know Ford. They were good friends. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that these three men ended up in the same room. And they were all at the World's Fair? I I don't know. Okay. I'm assuming at some point they probably were, but I don't know if they were all there together. Okay. Um, because I kept running into timeless stuff. So stay out yeah, of there. We have a yeah, no. So yeah, uh, I like that they mentioned the Pap's blue ribbon in this scene too. Yeah, and then uh, nice little wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, which at this point I was also asking like how Holmes would know to capture them specifically because it wasn't like he he killed everybody who walked in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And so, but we obviously get that answer later. But yeah, I, I thought that was yeah. I like I like that uh, Lucy tells Flynn like you were one of the good guys, which like it kind of cements what we suspect is that he wasn't a bad person to begin with. It's just yeah, circumstances yeah. have made it yeah so that he's a bad person. Um, and like obviously he's not the big bad. Obviously that's yeah. right now still. Yeah, but yeah, he's the the little bad. It's a little um, bad. <laughs> Like, the morally very morally gray character um yeah like yeah, dark so, gray dark gray <laughs> yeah we uh at the hotel rufus and wyatt are still looking for flynn's guy and they decide to split up which okay fred jones like what do you expect is going to happen here <laughs> like wyatt stop doing that but uh we cut back to the cafe and flynn tells her if she helps he will have yeah. uh rufus and wyatt saved which i don't know that he can promise because Oh, it's not Zach. Sorry, I just you know the Flynn's got Carl. Carl. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, they they just Rufus and Wyatt decide to split. I'm like, haven't they learned anything? Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> when has splitting up worked well for them so far? Never. Exactly. Never ever. And it doesn't work work well later in the episode either. Like, which is which is even worse because they split up. This happens, and then the second they're free, he goes up, up with Quinlan, and he goes, "Lucy, go like go somewhere else." I'm like, dude, no, there's a there's a serial killer on the loose, and you're leaving her alone. Like, yeah, no, dude, think about it for a second. Um. I got really, I got really upset with that. <laughs> this is you, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, now we cut because like, uh, Flynn asked Lucy to help under threat of, uh, under threat of a. Uh, well, he basically, because she has to die yeah, at Holmes's hands, <laughs> basically, uh, which was really the only thing that would uh, make her do it. Uh, but she had an idea, so we get to which a I magic think Flynn show. could have come up with this on his own. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know though, because it's kind of a little bit out there. I don't know. 
Um, but anyway, the great Houdini's in the house. And Houdini is played by uh, Michael Dreyer, who's a one Chicago alum. Um, yeah. I mean, that's not his most uh, like famous Yeah, He role. was in the episode of Chicago PD. He was an informant for Adam. Yeah. And also, CI. he looks very different as Houdini, as he usually does, which I feel like is the case for most of the historical guest yeah. star. They make them look a lot like... Uh, their characters yeah. their characters though do not google photos of houdini because there's one of them that like is burned in my head and it's creepy uh is the one where he's staring at the camera yes yeah it's that's a really well known so one. it's so creepy yeah. um i think, but yeah, like, he, I think it's in he, the national portrait gallery actually oh really um if it's the one i'm thinking of probably um michael dreyer was he had like a few recurring roles in mr robot where he plays cisco i haven't watched that show um i heard it's good and another one called sneaky pete which i don't know either and more than a one chicago alum he's very much a dick wolf universe guest star like he's been in svu law and order the og criminal intent organized crime He's been Chicago PD. He's been FBI Most Wanted. So like, and he's got like multiple one-offs in mm-hmm. many, many, many other shows. Um, but yeah, that's Houdini, which which is definitely one of the best historical characters of the yeah, entire I was excited show. To like, see him. He's he's really fun. Uh, but yeah, so Houdini is doing his magic trick, and when he asks for a volunteer, Lucy raises her hand, like, you know, like she's in class and her life depends on it, like her A grade status depends on it. Um, like she might be in danger, Wyatt and Rufus might be getting dissected, dissected by H.H. Holfer as we speak, but Lucy will still fangirl over the historical <laughs> figure yeah. of the week like it's just she's she's having so much fun she is um and we go we go back to wyatt who runs into a woman uh and her drawings and maps spill on the floor and he helps her in the room and like at this point you're like mm, is, she, is it a plot twist and are they Holmes gonna, gonna make be her a woman? Yeah, exactly. Or she's being yeah. Like, yeah, or she's like an accomplice or something. Yeah, I thought that at first. Then I was like, uh, once I heard the name of the guy yeah. in the cell or in this little room, I was like, oh, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's just because they made a pretty good job of making that hotel like really creepy. Like it's it's very claustrophobic. I feel like the the mm-hmm. hallways are very narrow and. The way the which is very indicative too of the 1890s yeah like the same like like, yeah yeah the way the rooms are decorated it's so they're it's so busy it feels very claustrophobic yeah i mean i thought so it feels stuffy too like you can you can smell the mold yeah you know that old moldy (laughs) smell yeah which probably wasn't there whenever it was built but yeah now we associate it with buildings from that time period yeah, but Rufus also mentions that it kind of needs some Febreze in a couple of scenes. So, well, I feel like there's a there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's a reason for that. Yeah, um, but yeah, he asks her about Lucy, and the, that was really well done. Like the point of view moves mm-hmm. into the wall where someone is 
observing them through a hidden air quote peephole because it looks pretty um pretty distinct and pretty obvious but oh well. yeah um and uh, quick, with that wallpaper yeah. that's wall that's busy wallpaper yeah quick note here uh sophia is our played by katherine cunningham who's our second one chicago alum of the week uh she had a small recurring role in season one of chicago fire it's been it's a minute ago where she played corinne which was i think uh a girlfriend of shay's like all the way back to early season one. Yeah, so. was that the one played by? Was it Sherry Applebaum? Appleby? No, no, no. Corinne was the Catherine Cunningham. Oh, like, I so- thought she was like her friend. Oh, yeah. could she be? I don't know. Like I haven't, I haven't watched season one back to. Yeah, me too. Uh, like I remember her. I remember her face. I forgot how she was like the relation in the shows but yeah yeah i don't know um yeah she's she's been a couple things something called playboy club i made america the mob doctor mind games and most lately she's she's recurred on uh yellowstone mm. um but yeah rufus on his hand walks into an, op- an office which is when um, he says that the place needs some Febreze, which Febreze. apparently wasn't uh, debuted at the World's Fair that year. Was um, not. <laughs> I know, they could have. Um, and he opens the stove and you can tell it reeks. And with good reasons, because after closer inspection, he finds bones and Checking welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this uh, timeless Criminal Minds crossover because creepy... Yeah. Which supposedly, like, in his office, Holmes had some kind of chamber, like a vault-type chamber, where he could, like, close it and trap people in there. So, yeah, not out of the realm of possibility that <laughs> to die in the office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but, but before... Like, the, the smell just sounds a little... I don't know. Like... I've never smelled a dead body. I hope I never do. Uh... I can't, like, it... I imagine it smells worse. When I was in college, I lived down the street from a chicken incinerator. That's, those and are pretty feathers. bad. Yeah, and it smelled really bad. Uh, and you could smell it for really far away. So I can't imagine it smells better than that. I mean, I mean, if worse. you if you smell hair, like like oh, yeah, it's gonna be that plus like rotting meat. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's moving on. Moving on. Uh, before he can do anything, like the door shuts closed, and Wyatt and his new friends are also locked in the room. Which is, how did they not notice the door closing? Because they're talking, they're talking, yeah. and like Wyatt is like, "Okay, I gotta go now." It turns around, the door is closed, and Sophia, like, first of all, they're the right next yeah. to the door, so they would have heard it. And Sophia was even facing the door. So why did she not see that the door closed? Yeah. Was she so hypnotized by Wyatt's Those pretty blue eyes. blue eyes? Which, honestly, I wouldn't blame her. This is it. This is it. Maybe that that that's it. Here's the head cannon. She was hypnotized by brooding blue eyes over there. They um, were also standing like fairly close to each other. So if like she was focused on his face, talking to him. 
Yeah. She might have noticed like something moving in the Movement, background, but not yeah. like yeah, not like registered that it was the door closing. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh gas starts to hiss into the room and they both look as consciousness. And while they're having a little nappy nap, we cut back to the magic show. And Lucy is having the best time ever. Uh, with like, the, yeah, with Houdini and his magic yeah. show. And he's a flirt. I know. And even Flynn is amused by how giddy she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like she, she just, you can't, you can't help be amused by it because she's so cute. Um, and like, it's funny because she can't help it. But like every time she kind of meets Flynn Gay, she's like, I'm not having fun. I'm not having fun. Oh, this is no, I'm not having fun. I'm not having fun. <laughs> she's like, I'm not allowed to have fun while I'm being kidnapped. I know she's so cute though. Um, and she like she's so because you know like he does his disappearing like his escape pad like they lock him in the trunk, and like she and I think it's Dash who didn't you like his brother. Mm-hmm. They like lift a curtain, and two seconds later they let it drop, and Houdini's out, and she like. She gasps. She, oh. she gasps and she laughs and she's like clapping and whatnot. And then she looks at Flynn like, nope, never mind. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh. Which he did have a brother uh, who went into magic as well. His name was Theodore. Uh, but his name before he immigrated, his middle name, did resemble Dash. So I'm assuming that's what his nickname yeah, was. Uh, I didn't go over the actor, but the actor is credited as Dash Houdini. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after the show, she waits for Houdini and kidnaps him sort of under false pretenses which you know it's the episode of kidnapping like it's the theme of this mm-hmm. episode really uh she feels so bad for it. it's like i'm so sorry um somewhere else back at the hotel at least we assume so um wayad wakes up locked in a room with rufus sophia and another man named george and you know okay. they do they george, george. henry Henry. Yeah, that was his name. So, what's the. Is there like a reference to. Yes. Howard, uh, Henry Howard Holmes. Henry and then Howard. Holmes was uh. picked because of he was a fan of Sherlock Holmes. So, yeah, like whenever he said his name was George yeah. Henry, I was like, mm hmm. Yeah. Henry. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> For sure. Um,. Yeah, they, they do the usual, like, screaming, banging at the door, which obviously doesn't work. Um, and, like, through the whole thing, they kind of try to make us think that Quinlan is Holmes, uh, which usually means it isn't, and it mm-hmm. obviously isn't. Um, but the, the woman explains that it's soundproof and airtight, and since we know who George is, uh, I can go over uh, the actor whose name is Joel Johnstone. Like, good name. Joel Johnstone, that rings. Um, he was recurring in Mrs. Maisel, which I haven't watched. Uh, yeah, he was, I think, the Archie Cleary. friend's... Yeah, he was her friend's husband, who was her ex-husband's friend. If that makes sense. <laughs> I do not understand what just happened. Um, he was also in uh, CSI Vegas and in a show called Astronauts Wives Club with Guess Who? Matt Lanter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in four episodes of the newsroom uh, as Cameron. And I watched the newsroom, but I don't remember who that is. 
So I guess I got to go back. Um, other shows includes NCIS LA, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., SWAT, and Criminal Minds because it's very much in, uh, in theme right now. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, Wyatt, Wyatt tells uh, Rufus that he thinks like Flynn trapped them in there on purpose, which he's right. And it's already yeah. bad in his mind. But then Rufus says, Lucy could be here too for all we know. And the horror mm-hmm. on Wyatt's face. And like you can see the flashes of every terrible thing he imagines that could be happening to Lucy right now. Yeah, because I don't think, I mean, neither of them mentioned that they know who Holmes is. Which I feel like Rufus might I know. I feel but, like, yeah. But they don't, yeah, they don't seem to know where they're trapped. Or, like, who might be trapping them. Um, I feel but like I do Rufus think, at least would know. Yeah, that's, I kind of thought so, too, but he never mentions it. But I do think they did something really smart here, bringing Sophia in. Um, both for the fact that she's, like, an architect. She, you know, later connects with Rufus. Mm-hmm. And also, like, she's enough like Jessica to keep that continued reminder running throughout the episode for the end. Because she's talking about, like, her dad will never know what happened and why it talks about it later of, like, you know, we're going to get out of here because the not knowing is the worst part. And she has that connection to to the World's Fair, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, ties everything. It's very much like them. Everything is tied together very neatly it's yeah it's great yeah somewhere else um flynn carl keep wanting to say zach for some reason uh flynn carl lucy and houdini are walking towards the building where ford edison and morgan are supposed to meet and lucy and houdini talk and i really like this conversation because we get a little bit of continuity where Lucy mentions the car accident that almost drowned her. Mm-hmm. And it also reminds her that Lucy, he's a little bit claustrophobic, which comes in play uh, later. Later, yeah. yeah. Which I think uh, that was a good like callback as well. Yes. They don't really mention Lucy ever being claustrophobic, I don't think, before that. She obviously doesn't like being in the lifeboat. But mm-hmm. like this is the first time they're like, yes, I was trapped underwater, therefore now I don't like tight spaces. But which I, I thought mean, was a good way to like do that yeah i and bring in yeah i think when she i think she's mentioned a couple times because like she says she she said like in the very like in the first episode that she doesn't like being in enclosed spaces and i think we're kind of supposed to tie that to the accident but this really really ties it up together Mm -hmm. um i like one thing he says to fear isn't what's actually happening to you it's just your reaction to it because I feel like that applies so well to all three of the characters of like what their biggest fears are and like what's how they're reacting to it and how everybody's being held back by it because like Rufus obviously wasn't the center point of this episode but his fear of like what Rittenhouse can do and how he's reacting to it prior to the end of this episode is so you know different I guess Mm -hmm. like he really turns a corner at the end of this episode and so like that was never said to them, but it's definitely one of those lines that kind of encompasses the entire theme. Mm-hmm. Also, like that Lucy has a plan here, and she like subtly suggests yes. it to Houdini. She mentions the cut purse trick. trick, yeah, yeah, which is a uh, 
important for later for sure. Um, but they get there and Houdini opens the outside door very easily. Um, uh, before he goes in, there's a little nod from Lucy and a little wink from Houdini. He's so charming. He is. He's he's adorable. I love him. Um, and inside they wait until a guard or I'm guessing they're Pinkertons. That was uh, the time, right? This time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he walks away for whatever reason because you know it's a lot more convenient to the picture just not here. Um, Houdini takes a look at the door, finds it too difficult to open, so he's like, he looks around, like, yeah, I got a better idea, and it just uh, Cirque du Soleil make his way through the ceiling, <laughs> through the ceiling, yeah, <laughs> and he opens the door to flame from the inside. Uh, as their Flynn is trying to plant bomb, the three men get there a little bit early, and also open the door without trying to unlock it. Because, you know, like th- that thing has like four dead bolts, and mm-hmm. nobody rattles a a key in any of the of the locks. But it's fine. Um, I didn't go over like all three guys, but uh fun note is that the guy who plays Henry Ford, uh, whose name is Chris W. Greenfield, also played a policeman in the Watergate tape. Hmm. Which I went back and honestly, I'm pretty sure I know who it is, but he looks so different than he does here that if INDB hadn't told me, I would have never known. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a little nice little I mean nice little touch it's always fun to find those recurring not recurring actors can you hear um, my dog right now no okay good he, he wants in the room I'm in and Aww. he makes too much noise for that <laughs> poor little guy he's having a meltdown Oh. oh uh Flynn's try to shoot the guy, uh, but Houdini pickpocketed his gun. And so if yeah. you look very closely at the scene, which obviously, you know me, I did, when they enter the room, so Houdini has the door open, uh, Flynn enters the room and gives his jacket back to Houdini. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Houdini moves his left arm slightly, and you can see the bottom of Flynn's jacket like lift slightly. Yeah, on the same side where he gets his gun, and so you can you can tell that's when Houdini lifted his gun. Oh, okay, cool. It's very very subtle. Uh, but yeah, like it's I love that they actually included that little bit. It's it's really cool. Um. He steals, Houdini steals the bomb too, because it hey, might as well. Uh, and he explains to Flynn that he used the cut purse trick. And he doesn't tell him that Lucy told him to do oh, it, yeah. but yeah, we know that she did. Um, he calls the guards and leaves the room with a little bow and a bit of self-promotion. Yeah, ultimately. Because- I know she's he's amazing. I, I adore him. Um... He goes back outside, knocks out Carl, uh, gives the bomb and the gun to Lucy. And before he can leave, she begs him to help rescue Wade and Rufus. And 
like you know he he could have left her this probably would have been totally understandable but he's such a good guy he just and i think he likes lucy like she she struck a chord with him like and he yeah he just agrees to go with her yeah um back to way and rufus and the fantastic four uh back in their prison wyatt is still trying the door open and this is where there is this fantastic easter egg uh and big shout out to uh the set decorators um so i'll go over their names after because i we need to name them because that was really good um Wyatt is trying to unscrew some of the bolts in the door with something. And I zoomed in on it, and it's some type of coin. And there was a bit of writing on it, so sent it to, to the group chat. And Heather worked her magic, and we figured out that it's a elongated coin so you know those um like the coin machines that press yes so you put like a penny in there or we do dimes we do dimes uh dimes are nickels now because we don't have pennies anymore here uh Mm -hmm. and like you crank a crank and it comes out with like this oval thin shaped with some kind of design on it and it was like a coin from the the world's fair like the exhibition yeah, it was the first place they did that. Or that's where it's credited to being the first place that did yeah. that was the World's Fair. Another and thing it just that says like, muted. Yeah, it just says like the Columbian Exposition. Yeah. We'll, we'll post the, uh, the both the screenshot from the episode and the, the image of the, the coin. Uh, that was like, and it's never mentioned. It's a blink and you mm-hmm. miss it type of thing. I, I wonder if either they cut a scene where why it's like, what can we use and Sophia has the coin in her pocket or something and then they cut it because later she also gives him the pen that helps him whittle out of there and it was just too much or if like they just threw it in there because it was a cool fact (laughs) I don't know but yeah um, so the set decorator uh, her name is Janessa Hitzman and on IMDB there are two more names credited as props which are Janelle Harrell and Matt Mahoney and like I don't know exactly who worked on what but kudos to all three of those people because I thought that was a really 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 nice touch mm-hmm. so whoever got that idea good job good job uh at this point like Rufus is sitting next to a wall and there's scratch marks on on the wall mm-hmm. and it's like which they did reportedly find in the hotel after uh, they started looking. Yeah, this is this is a haunted mansion, but level like too fucking real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no ghosts, just all real. It's yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a few ghosts in that place too. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a post office now. I listened to um, there's a, a podcast called mm-hmm. and that's why we drink. And M, one of the hosts, they did a couple episodes on houdini that are really good and i have a shirt from them that says like it's not me it's not you it's houdini um which is like a quote from the episode but uh and then christine she did hh holmes as like one of their really early episodes so i went back and listened to it because i hadn't listened to it in a while 
And uh, I think she said that whenever they leveled the building afterwards, it became a post office. So somewhere in Inglewood, there's a post office. That's that say, let's put that on the list of places yeah. to go see in Chicago. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, George appears to be freaking out, tells a story about his son and um, the Jack in the Box. Uh, Sophia takes the the bait and kind of starts talking about uh, her father, I think, at this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, George's H.H. Holmes face, when he tells, like, after he tells his story and when Sophia starts talking, you can see, like, the flip yeah. In his in his face. It again it's a blink and you miss it type of thing, but like <laughs> it's chilling. Um so that's where Sophia explained that she designed the women's world fair, the women's pavilion at the fair, and uh she says that she's from MIT, and that's where Lufus uh, Rufus says uh Lufus <laughs> Rufus <laughs> says that he was there too and like oh so you mer- must be um i forgot the name robin uh robert robinson taylor yeah robin robinson taylor uh no i'm the other black guy oh there were two <laughs> yeah which um when she I when she goes were, in... there was a picture of her when she was at mit and i think there were only 24 women there at the time too so yeah well, she probably really can days. relate to being the odd person out mm-hmm. i think it was her and one other woman that she shared a drafting room table with that were in the architecture program together yeah um which is like another of your written house theory of like you know people figure out like who that person were later mm-hmm. it's like when she goes to the class reunion she yeah, only she sees the uh, rubber <laughs> yeah she's like but who was that other guy <laughs> uh but yeah, eventually Wyatt gives up on the door and uh that's where he and Sophia talk and my man my Wyatt he's such a fixer mm-hmm. I felt like like I said I liked how they kind of wove that thread throughout the episode of reminding us that mm-hmm. Like they do it every time anyway, but I felt like the end of this episode was particularly important to do it for this episode. Yeah, like he's he's gonna do his best to make sure what happened to him with Jessica doesn't happen to Sophia and her father and her family. So and like at this point, you probably even think uh like that could happen with Lucy too. Like if for some reason they weren't able to mm-hmm. save her, like it's just because yeah, I still don't know where she's at. Yeah, she might. She could very well be in another room, another basement, somewhere. Um, but yeah, he'll do whatever he can to get them all out of out of there. Um, back to Flynn, one of the guard slash Pinkerton. Come, that's a why am I having so much trouble with that word? Pinkerton. Uh, comes back to the room where Flynn is handcuffed to take him somewhere else, police station, I'm assuming. Uh, and of course, the second is Flynn's hands are free. He takes on the guy, t- takes his gun, kill him, kill the other guy, and escapes. Uh, and also, like, okay, Flynn hair in this episode on 
point. Like he <laughs> runs his finger through it and like, yeah, I think I have a thing for Flynn now. But I also okay. had a thing for Kovac in ER, so that's not new. It's nothing new. Um, that's boring. <laughs> yes, that's totally boring. Actually, so um, I've uh, I've been catching up on the uh, there's an ER rewatch podcast called Setting the Tone, um, and they call uh, Kovac uh, Croatian Clooney. I've never watched it. You haven't watched ER? No. Jeez, go! It's, I know it's one of those shows I've always just been like, I don't, I don't. Before Chicago Med, I just was not into medical dramas. Okay, no, no, all, no, 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 no. Which no, is like, really funny because like Chicago Med was my gateway into one Chicago, but I didn't really, really like. Yeah. Oh, the things I learn. I know. Yeah, I know. I watched like the first five seasons of Chicago Med because they were on Netflix. And then I realized, like, all these characters that just kept popping in, like Jay and Herman and stuff like that, were, like, from other shows. <laughs> so that's when I started watching the other shows. And then I was, like, you know, fell in love with, like, PD. Because I do like crime dramas. But, uh, yeah, Med was the gateway like, into one No, you, you really need, like, ER is, it's a classic at this point. Like, it's yeah. the 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 medical show that really got medical shows going i feel like yeah there there were some before for sure um but that that's the one that really i think yeah. made I them i was also very younger popular. when it was coming out and so like i didn't know who george clooney really was until ocean's 11 yeah like, I... that was when i like started like i was just too young for it yeah. so again like being in France where the airing thing was a little different mm -hmm. I forgot when I really started to get into it I remember watching uh at the very least the series finale live for sure I mean live yeah. the first time it aired in France at least uh I forgot exactly where I picked up I know I saw like bits and pieces over the years for sure um and then i went back and and watched the whole thing uh and it's 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 so good like it has its up and down obviously like most shows uh but honestly it's it's definitely a good one to watch yeah but yeah i know it's 15 seasons so it takes a minute um yeah. i know manny took a while to watch it he watched i think rewatched most of it yeah, we watch more. We were watch more or less at the same time because I was watching Supernatural at the time, so I was kind of going back and forth. I oh, did yeah. two fifteen season shows at the same time for for like a period of like <laughs> six months. That's all I watched: Supernatural and ER. That's all of it. Yeah. Um. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, after thing for Flynn. Back to the hotel um sophia points that there's a break that's kind of falling apart and that they can dig a small hole through it with a pin which she give to wyatt and this way they can get a bit of fresh air and then someone can hear them and thankfully yeah. lucy and harry are in the building they're going around the hotel yeah uh, together because houdini makes a point exactly of not splitting up <laughs> Wyatt Logan, please Together. take notes. Um, 
she's for real. Like, I'm still pissed at this. I mean, you know, not too pissed because Deanne is pretty fantastic. Uh, but come on. Um, there's like other little, another slight misdirect with the caretaker. I mean, we assume because we kind of see like mm-hmm, just one behind. of his leg. Yeah. One of his leg with the keys kind of dingling. So. Yeah, very, which uh, I, I forgot to mention this in my history minute, like the real Pat Quinlan, um, several, like 20 years after this happens, mm-hmm. he's obviously hearing all these stories and it was too much for him. That was what I forgot to mention in the history minute. Um, yeah. You can kind of gather what that means. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, but yeah, uh, Wyatt manages to get to dig through the brick and he starts calling and uh, Lucy hears him. And the sound is coming from behind a bookcase that Lucy manages to move to reveal like a small tunnel slash passage. Or I think it's a gap between the walls. Yeah. Um, some, some kind of doorway. But yeah. I love the, the shade. He's like, that's too obvious. He's like, yeah. well, I guess it's not too obvious. <laughs> it's not up to his standard. Amateur. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's so unoriginal. Yeah. Uh, Houdini goes right in. Lucy hesitates because she's claustrophobic and Houdini's so sweet. And he just takes her time, give, gives, takes her hand and they go in together. <sighs> okay. Stretch it out because I'm about to freak out. Um, guys, I have like a half page of notes. It's all, all caps. Um, bear with me. I'm about to become uh, the Lyat. <laughs> unhinged person um so just when they're about to give us hope in the in a room lucy gets to the door and like she leans her forehead against the door because she's so relieved and just already here i'm losing my shit yeah i do love hearing she's like i'm here with harry houdini and they're like did you say houdini (laughs) uh and so harry picks the door open and we get the best hug forever and like there is no debating at this point it's like Wyatt and Lucy have a very 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 different hug than Lucy and Rufus right after yeah he he brings her closer he wraps his hand like around the back of her neck and he holds her close and like I'm, I'm sorry. It's not a friend hug. And like she closes her eyes and she looks him up and down, and he does to to kind of make sure they're all in one piece. And they're smiling so good. And she has a little relief laugh, and it's adorable. It is. Yeah, I will even admit admit that there's something there besides just a hug. It's like it's, it's not. It's more it's than not a, hug. a friend hug. It's not a friend hug. It's not a friend hug. No. My favorite part of this whole scene, though, I know yours was the hug. My favorite part is Houdini's like, I'm not going in there. I'm not getting trapped. <laughs> like, I didn't even notice. I will stand outside the door. I did not even notice. <laughs> no, I was like, Houdini's me. I'm I'm Houdini in this in this scenario. Honestly, that, that was a good thing because, you know, I could totally see Holmes like running out and like closing the door like, behind them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's totally fair uh but no i was just i was so stuck um uh yeah and like 
eventually she also hugs rufus but like really who cares um it was a sweet friend hug it was a sweet friend hug i i i love them but at this point i'm like i'm just still reeling and buzzing from the liat stuff it's just this is so cute (laughs) uh can you tell i love them a little bit a little okay i I don't want to make it too obvious um gotta keep some mystery in there um Anyway, Sophia and even George thank her. They leave the room. And Wyatt stops Lucy. And she tells we're not done yet. Yep. And then, so they go up and they find Pat Quinlan. And he proves he's only the caretaker. And Wyatt's like, well, where is he? And so he goes with Quinlan to Holmes' office on like the third floor or something. And he tells Lucy to go get the police. And he leaves her alone. Like, Wyatt, stop splitting up. What the fuck? What the fuck? No, sir. You just got her back. You were so scared that she could be trapped with H.H. Holmes in another right, part like, of the hood. Do not and let her out of your sight. Her- exactly. Also, like, but yeah. where's Rufus at this point? Do you just go out with the other people and stay there? It's like, he was somewhere else. I don't know where he was though, because he comes back in after he hears her scream. I, I know it's like, dude. But I don't know where do? he was. Like, maybe he was talking guys, to Houdini in a different room or something. Guys, stick together, stick together, always. But yeah, so Rufus hears her scream, um, and oh, sorry, I'm, I skipped ahead a little bit. Um, so she's like looking at the wall and at the proprietor's picture and she realizes the guy that was in there with them is H.H. Holmes so she screams and right then of course she gets kidnapped by H.H. Holmes obviously Uh, Rufus hears her and then Wyatt comes down the stairs and realizes she's gone because they split up and left her alone what did you expect Um, was gonna happen dude (laughs) yeah so we cut and Lucy is now in the furnace in the basement which I mentioned (laughs) you know was a crematorium yeah Um, and she's freaking out which no shit Uh, wouldn't even have to be claustrophobic to freak out oh no 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 like yeah but uh holmes tells lucy flynn paid them to trap wyatt and rufus so that's how we get that is that's why he trapped them specifically is flynn paid him to do it so yeah like i don't know if he would actually kind of be like this because there was never any like indication when i was reading that he was actually kind of deranged and not just doing it for money um which a lot of this reminds me of the stories of Lavinia Fisher out of Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. She and her husband ran an inn that had like supposedly like drop floors below the beds and stuff like that, where they were murdered <laughs> travelers basically to get their belongings and money. But I mean, um, you know, it kind of was for money because Flynn paid him. It was. And like, yeah. at this point, he's, he's, he's breaking out to. Um, so he's going to get caught. He's going to get caught, he, really. Yeah, which. He'd gotten close to being caught before and he would just leave town. Yeah. Because it was harder to track people back then. But Yeah, but also, you know, like he's got his big, this big hotel that he put a lot of effort in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that what it would be like upset and kind of panicked. But yeah, yeah that's but I also such a like great Lucy. performance. Yeah, from yeah. Abigail. That's, yeah, that's where I was going to. I like what, how they've tied all of the Houdini stuff back in for her. Because I feel like they really brought... They brought, you know, the architect in, Sophia in for Wyatt. 
and kind of tied in Rufus a little bit. And they brought Houdini in for Lucy for this moment, for the escape. And they really tied them together with both of them for Holmes. Yeah. Of, you know, you know, Sophia's fears of never knowing what happened, being what he's afraid of could happen with Lucy. And, you know, it all just works so well together. I like the evolution of Lucy's um, emotions there. Like, at first mm-hmm. she's terrified, obviously. Like, and then she kinda anybody in their right herself. mind. Yeah. yeah. Then she sent her to stay with the escape. 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 Which is what Houdini told her mm-hmm. that he does, really. And then at the, escape, at, yeah. at the the very last moment when um, Holmes kind of say, like, he's going to burn her alive, really. There's a flip and all of a sudden her voice becomes like very cold, very like yeah. assertive. And like even when she talks, we can see like she's still she's still scared, but she manages to control that fear. Um yeah. and it's a little bit later, but you even see like her voice like stays calm, but there's a tear going down the side of her face. Like it's it's so well done. Yeah. Yeah, so, and then Wyatt kind of runs in. He's like, where is Lucy? Uh, he's looking here. He's with Pat Quinlan, and he, like, threatens him with his gun. So and he goes, well, he's probably in the, yeah, he's probably in the basement. Um, And so, in the basement, Lucy keeps conning Holmes into believing she's a psychic, which I, that spiritualism element I thought was interesting to bring in. Um, And she promised, because uh, I think I read somewhere, too, that Holmes was a spiritualist. He did believe in stuff like that. That's what she says. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, she says it in the episode. Yeah, she says I read it. it. I think I read it somewhere too. It's to like confirm it. But um. So and with Houdini, I thought that was interesting to bring in. Mm-hmm. But uh, she promises to help him do. All oh, kinds you know of what? Stuff. Knowing that Houdini has like a really dis- big disdain for spiritualists and the fact. That, you know, when they find the very obvious bookshelf, you know, mm-hmm. and he's very, like, disdainful about that, too. That's a, a nice little yeah, circle, too. Yeah. He wouldn't have liked him very much. Mm-hmm. Um, So she promises kind of to do all kinds of things to help him if he lets her out. But before he can really decide to do anything, Wyatt and Rufus burst in. And Rufus gets Lucy out while Wyatt holds Holmes at gunpoint. The and second, he starts the his, second Lucy the hears second. Wyatt, like she yeah. drops all pretenses. She's like, yeah. come here, yeah. come here, come and get me, come and get yeah. me. Yeah. And so Holmes starts his like big villain monologue and he promises to confess everything. And so Wyatt's like, does he? And Lucy's like, no, he's bullshitting. And then Holmes tries to kind of like lunge at him and Wyatt shoots him. So that's the end. Um, um, he does, the quote he does here that there was a devil in me, that quote, yeah. the poet all that that was a quote that is actually attributed to Holmes uh that and he said to um I think he either wrote it or said it to Hedgepath the um, this face-off between Wyatt and uh, Wyatt and Holmes I thought was really interesting because you know when he when he has his gun to to Holmes like I think at this point like Wyatt sees the man who kills Jesse who killed Jesse got to oh he does yeah 100 percent. like this uh, is the crossroads for it exactly so he couldn't find that man he couldn't bring him to justice or even kill him and he has that moment with holmes uh and that kind of makes me wonder like what would have happened 
if Holmes had just surrendered. Yeah. You can... I I don't... Honestly, don't know. Um, I think after next episode, I could probably tell you better, knowing how this episode ends. But, um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Because he probably does see. Like yeah. That. Well, you can, you can, at this point anyway, you can you can see that it could go either way. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Sorry. Like, cut that. Okay. I, thought, I just thought that face-off was great. It was a really good one. It was, a, like, I, I even wrote it in my notes. It was like, uh, <laughs> I've said it already several times, but it, it's just so well-crafted for Lucy's fear, mm-hmm. Wyatt's regret. Not knowing what happened to Jessica and Holmes being kind of the center for that, for both of those to kind of come to a point. Um, and then it just, it works so well. But uh, we cut to later after all of this has kind of been done with, and Sophia thanks Wyatt. She returns to Rufus and tells him she hopes he sees him <laughs> at the class reunion. So there we go. She's going to discover time travel. Um I think this would be great if all of these people somehow like manage to work at Mason Industries later or like form something that helped Mason Industries. That'd be kind of cool. But uh, Houdini offers Lucy to be his assistant and she respectfully declines and tells him to be on lookout for a Bess, which is obviously his wife. And yeah, she probably he's probably amazed by her talent as mind readers, my reader, but I guess not because he wasn't into spiritualism. So. Yeah, I think it was also just like she was fun. Like, yeah, she's so his first he, fan because he wasn't aware he had yeah. any fans. Well, he was only like nineteen at this point too. He was nineteen around this time because he was born in uh, 74, something like that. Oh my god! Yeah, he so does not look like he looks like thirty in this episode. Well, I mean, the actor might be, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but only, I, would have I didn't realize. Like even when you you said his birthday, like I didn't even connect the dots. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So he's got that that nineteen year old uh, confidence. Yes, <laughs> but sure. uh, so he leaves, and then Wyatt's like, "Wait, that's, come back." That's when she. That's when gun. she tells him to. <laughs> be like she she says like no i i can't but um i'm sure you'll find someone and look out for a bess <laughs> yep uh so they all kind of have this like sweet little moment together and then they leave oh and uh quick quickly like when when wyatt stops houdini because he pickpocketed his gun like if you look at Rufus, he's just as amazed as Lucy was at the first show. Oh, it's yeah. really cute. <laughs> yeah, and why is just like mm-hmm, flirting with my girl. But uh, uh I know. So after um, he leaves, though, they do have this sweet little moment, and they have this like, you know, thank you for saving me, and they're like, no, you saved us, and it's like, oh, they saved each other, and that's the whole point. This is so sweet. And then it's a, it's a, it's... and Lucy turn flirty. <laughs> I know, they right? Flirting. I right know. Front, they had forgotten Rufus. Rufus. Yeah, Rufus is there, but like, who cares? It's just like, I know you saved me. No, you saved us. Yeah, I did. It's not bad for a civilian, right? Yeah, not bad. It's like the banter. Mm-hmm. And Rufus is right there for it, and he's going to go home, and he's going to tell Gia, and they're oh. going to be the mm-hmm. Lyot shippers. Mm-hmm. The way Mason is <laughs> the Rhea shipper. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> she's trying not to tell me but if that happens i'm gonna be so excited uh, but anyway uh, so that's I, my prediction I gotta get down back to earth like i'm, I'm in my little layout word right now yeah no gia needs a shirt like she has like the buckle up buttercup shirt she just needs a layout shirt <laughs> anyway oh my god so we get back to mason industries and Rufus records a message for the Rittenhouse dudes, which is just really funny because he calls them like old Rittenhouse dude or something like that. And uh, he basically has figured out he has the leverage in this situation because he's the only pilot. Mm-hmm. They can't do it without him. And so I thought that was great, though, because like we have this episode that's centered around fear and it's not really about Rufus. Like, He's there and it is yeah. happening to him, but it's not really centered around Rufus's fear. But we get this, I, like, he's like, I went through this thing. Now I realize, like, fear isn't a thing to be afraid of. It's how I need to react to the situation. Yeah, and so, so he, he still learned that lesson the yeah in kind of a different way that Lucy and Moya did, but, like, in the periphery mm-hmm. of all that, he still, he still got that. And how to apply it to, yep. like, his situation. Um, he also tells Mason when he leaves the room that he needs to pick a side because Rufus has picked a side um, and and Mason needs to figure his stuff out. Um, and then we cut to the locker room and Wyatt gets a phone call from Flynn. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, like, the murderer of your wife is in Sam Quentin. His name is Wes Gilliam. And you can't go back, though, to before he killed your wife because you were alive. So, instead, they're going to go back even further. And so, this just seems like a trap to me. Like a great big trap. Like, he's coming at the wrong time. You know? It's coming at a time where the, Flynn needs them in a trap. So... Do, do you want to know what my note says? It says... What? Let Heather go first on that and what she thinks will come next. And in all caps, do not react. <laughs> She's doing a very good job with that, guys, too. She has not made a face this entire time. But yeah, no, it just feels like a tra- it feels very trappy to me because it's like, oh, let's go do murder. And it's like, I, one, I think Wyatt can. Like, it's why I, I want to see, like, before I would answer if whether or not he would have killed Holmes if he hadn't lunched at him. I want to see how this next episode goes. And how it actually plays out. Because I know it's called The Murder of Jesse James. So I'm assuming Jesse James is somehow related to Wes Gilliam. But, or he, I don't know how, I don't know. But anyway. But I think it seems like a trap. Because it just, it's too convenient for Flynn to call him now. And tell him that now. And to just magically know that now. So, yeah. Yeah, we, well, I mean that was basically your your thoughts. So, yes, yeah, I mean we we went over thoughts on on the episodes. Um, yeah, I don't really have any theories going forward other than other than what you just said about like, yeah, it's basically a, a trap. Yeah, uh, what do you think? Like the because there there's obviously gonna have to be a reaction from Rittenhouse to yeah to Rufus. So what do you think would happen? Um, here? Um, I really don't know. 
because I feel like obviously his family's in danger, but I don't know how it's going to play out or like what the next step for them would be. I could see maybe them trying to get Anthony back from Flynn first. Uh, but yeah, I really don't know. That's one I hadn't really thought too much about. Yes, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I think we've we've pretty much been over our impression for this episode. Like, it's it's one of the best episodes of the series for sure. Yeah, I um, know it's definitely like. I would say so far, I'd almost say this was number one for me. Uh, so far, yeah, it's definitely up there for sure. Um, I'm always amazed at how much they managed to pack, uh, into into one episode because like when you think about it that was like two two episodes in one almost yeah three historical figures four if you also count quinlan i guess and then three more if you yeah. count the three and like you know Guys, resolution like, of there's a lot yeah yeah the resolution of what happened in last episode plus the bit about hh holmes at the end and then, like, how it ties up with Rufus and Wyatt to, like, their separate situation at the end. Um, so, like, that that's a lot. And it it's still, the episode doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, no, it doesn't feel rushed at all. The, the pacing is really good. Um, do you want me to do the outro? No, I got it. Uh, okay. So, uh, if you like us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram or uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Uh, we're there on BIT Lifeboat and on Instagram and threads, we're back in the lifeboat. Uh, we also have the Discord. We have a visitor right now. Yeah. <laughs> My son's with us, so he's making some noise. Uh, yeah, we have a Discord yes. server as well. Uh, you can talk to us, other fans, about the show and by clicking the link on our bio on Instagram. Write and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. And it helps us grow and helps people find us. Uh, also spread the word to any of your friends who are Timeless fans. So you can ruin us and watch along with us for the first time. Uh, our next episode will be covering Season 1, Episode 12, titled The Murder of Jesse James. So I don't know if we're going to St. Joe, Missouri, but that's where he was murdered at least. Uh, and then watch and email us uh, your thoughts at backinthelifeboatpod at gmail.com. You can also send us voice notes. And then shout out to our friend Manny who is editing and producing the show with us. And thanks yeah, for listening. About See us first. Later. Bye. Bye.